Our scripture reading today is taken from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. And our sermon today is Jesus Loves His Church, um, Governing the Church. This is the word of the Lord. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. May the Lord bless us in the reading of his word. Good morning, everyone. Why don't you look around one more time, say hello to one another. It is good to be together to worship as God's people. And hello to those who are on Zoom. I know it's a little chilly here to keep you awake. Um, Hopefully we'll get the heating issue all fixed um, by next week. We continue this series on Jesus Loves the Church. And this is a topic that is very dear to me personally because I became a pastor of a church after I had worked with college students through InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. I enjoyed working with college students and for those four years um, sharing with them the gospel, seeing God work in their lives and seeing people change. I love the large groups where you come together and you just sing 20 songs in a row, right? And you hear a speaker give a message, and together you're, you're blessed. I, I love the small groups that we would have and have the students lead these small groups and see people come to know Jesus. And I enjoyed that time. I enjoyed also uh, going on missions trips and working with missions organizations and going overseas to to Japan and to other places and seeing what God was doing. And in my time there, my early 20s, I thought that this is the way that God works. This is the center of God's blessing. This is where I need to be to be in God's will. But something happened to me. And I pray that this happens to us as as a community of people. You start to read scripture more and more. You start to see what is God building. You start to wonder what is Jesus doing? Why did he come to earth? Why did he have to live the perfect life? Why did he die for us? And who is this us that he died for? And after he accomplished all of this, What is he trying to build? What is he building? What is Jesus' vision for what he has accomplished on the cross? 
And we have to think about this seriously. When I look out here, I see people who I've uh, uh, officiated their weddings. And I see people who are about to get married or who wish to get married. And when you get married, there's, there's a godly vision for what that marriage is supposed to be. What is it supposed to look like? There is no Christian who says, I want to get married without asking the question, what does God want this institution of marriage to look like? What should it look like five years, 10, 20 years down the road? What does God want for, from us as, as a husband and a wife? Jesus has done the same thing with the church. For me personally, college ministry was wonderful. Missions trips were wonderful. Being with the people of God who had a certain vision was wonderful. But I realized as I read scripture, the center of God's blessing is his church. That Jesus died for his church. Jesus died for this gathering of people here from different backgrounds, different dreams, different stories. You gather together, your individual visions of what God wants for you and your families might look a little different. But that's what makes this body of Christ even more beautiful. For in each story that we bring together, we see a bigger vision of what God is doing. And so we live together. We love together. We suffer together. We do not throw away the weak amongst us, but we embrace the weak those who are strong humble themselves because they understand and they know that what they have been given is a, is a gift from the Lord, not of their own doing. And they humbly give it to the church to use for, the build, for its maturity and its building up together. This is why I became a pastor. To see and to watch God grow each and every one of you as individuals, but more importantly, to watch relationships evolve into glorifying God and glorifying Christ. That's why every week I tell you to look around. Every week I hope God gives you a vision that these are my brothers and my sisters. Every week that you look and you go, oh, only by the grace of God can I love this person, right, at times. And then later on, you can say, by the grace of God, I do love this person. And the church grows. Jesus' presence grows. But Jesus does something more than just sort of building this community. Jesus also organizes the church. And this is important. A lot of us don't like organization. We would like to just sort of get together and hopefully just have a consensus. We don't like sparring. We don't like trying to, to figure things out. 
We don't like being uncomfortable. We don't like anyone challenging what we think is the right thing to do. But Jesus himself has established the body of Christ. And Jesus himself has given a government, leaders, men to lead the church. And we ourselves as God's people need to submit to his design. For when we submit to his design, does the church run as it's supposed to? And God's blessings and graces are dispersed amongst God's people. Again, we know from the institution of marriage, from those who are married, men have a role to play. Women have a role to play. And when those roles are not honored, there's conflict within the family. And those roles need to be learned as well. Men need to learn to be the spiritual head of the household. The one who initiates prayer, initiates scripture, initiate visioning of, of what our family should look like for the glory of God. Women themselves do that as well alongside of the husband. But the woman's role is to submit to the, the husband and, and, and sort of what they've figured out together. To love the husband. And in their mutual submission and care for one another. To grow a family that honors and glorifies God. If God has planned that for every institution that we have, God has planned that for its institution of the church as well. If we look in scripture, we see that throughout redemptive history, there has always been the issue, who's going to lead the people of God? Now we've learned from the first sermon of this series that if we look at scripture, that it is Jesus who's king, period. We submit to Jesus. We saw back in the Old Testament that the, 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 the picture of Israel should be God as king with no earthly king. God and God alone is the one who rules on the throne. But God himself through scripture has always raised up leaders to lead his people. And we see in the beginning, he raised up the prophet Moses. And Moses was the one who led the people out of Egypt. The one who received the Ten Commandments for the law. Who taught the law to the people. And told the people who God was. The one who, who saw God face to face. And was able to testify that this God of Israel is our God. But even Moses during his time with all those people, he could not manage them all by himself. He couldn't, he couldn't be that one person that everyone came to. So if we read Exodus 18, um, Moses' father-in-law says, listen, you can't do all this. You need to appoint other leaders to take your burden. Choose people who fear the Lord, people who are wise. 
and put them over, over groups of hundreds, 50, and 10. And so whenever any conflict comes up or whenever any sort of uh, uh, question comes up, they can answer and they can be the judge. And you, Moses, only the most difficult questions should you be responsible for. And Moses saw this as good, as a way to disperse responsibility. But you saw that even in Exodus 18, that these men had to be men of God, men who were wise, men who understood who the Lord himself was. Today in our church, Scripture teaches the same thing. When Paul in Acts was going around planting churches, he would plant a church, preach the gospel. People would come to know the Lord. But he was always looking for men to lead the church, elders to appoint. And these people had to be people who knew the word of God, people who were mature in their faith, and people who can lead the church. And so Paul would go from place to place, churches in Ephesus, in Colossae, in Antioch, in Rome, all these places, preaching the gospel, but knowing that he was there not to simply preach the gospel, but to establish a church. And to establish a church, you needed the leadership, people, men, who were able to serve the Lord. If you're studying uh, Colossians with me, we remember the man Epaphras. Epaphras most likely was the church planter of the church of Colossae. Probably somebody appointed by Paul. Go plant that church there. We see in Titus, Paul is always looking and commanding his church planters, appoint elders appoint men of God to lead the church. Brothers and sisters, I submit to you this, that a church that has elders who are mature in their faith, mature in their Christian living, is a necessity is a necessity for the maturation of the church. That the appointment of elders is a good and necessary, a good and necessary um, appointment by God for the growth and the maturation of the church. I pray that all of you have had good experiences with elders and leadership at your churches. That you can name elders that you've grown up with or pastors that you've grown up with. And you can say, they have led this church well. I have seen them proclaim the good news of God to live lives of, of hospitality, humility, 
but humble reliance upon God. Not perfection. And I've seen God work through these people, through these men, to glorify God. And I pray that you would hold on to those memories and those good things that God has given. But unfortunately, that's not how we as human beings are wired, is it? When we are wronged once, when the church has wronged us once, that's all we remember. We remember usually that one time when that elder did something wrong. I'm not going to do examples here. Did something wrong. And we're like, I'm never going to trust the church again. We're going to remember when that one pastor did something unbiblical. Like, I'm never going to trust the church or pastor again. And you resigned yourself to thinking, church is now just me and God. Just me and God and the few people who I want with me. Here in Atlanta, there's a joke that runs. It's not really a joke, but we, we, we talk amongst about Asian Americans here in Atlanta. And the joke is something like this. What is the biggest PCA Asian American church in Atlanta? And the answer is Perimeter. And Perimeter, if you know, is the biggest PCA church here in Atlanta, but also the most influential PCA church in all the United States of America. Over about 3,000 people attend there. And we, we joke around because we say that most Asian Americans go there because it's a hospital from there for them. It's a place because they were hurt by elders and pastors. And they don't want to go back to a, a small church or an Asian American church anymore. So they go to be healed. But what happens to the majority of them is that they go to that hospital to be healed, but they never come back out. They never come back out. And so what do they do? They go to church on Sundays. They'll worship. But they won't get involved in church. They'll just stick with their five or six Korean-American or Asian-American friends, go to church together, come out, and just do whatever they want. This is the reality of most ethnic churches, especially Asian-American experience. Down here in Atlanta, it's Perimeter. New York City, it's Redeemer. You go to L.A., it's, um, it's um, um, I can't remember the name of the church, but there's, there's, all, there's big megachurches all over the place where Asian Americans just flock to because they were hurt. We have to acknowledge that. But I tell my friends who go to Perimeter or who go to Redeemer all the time, I said, listen, 
God has blessed you. You are able people. You can do a lot of good. Either stay at the church and be really, really active or come out. Go to these churches here who, who need people like you, who need people to work. But you know, just because we've had those bad experiences does not mean that what God is doing in raising elders is a failure. What it does mean is that we understand in our hearts that our elders and our pastors, well, they need more prayer from us as God's people. That we as a people of God need to pray and to, to uh, uh, support leaders that we as God's people need to pray that God will provide for CCPC elders and pastors who can love the church and guide the church for without this leadership a church can't grow a church just cannot grow. If we think that we can grow just because we can gather and I love Jesus, it's not enough. It's not God's design. In our passage today, Paul talks about the role of an elder. An elder is an office that is given to a man. It's an ordained office. And this man, when he's ordained as a leader of the church, he is the one who does two things. He teaches and encourages God's people. He leads, gives vision. He's responsible to Jesus now to make sure that this church walks that direction. The second thing, which I think a lot of us has issues with, but we need this, is they're the ones who have to make judgments when there's conflict and conflict arises. And you're like, I don't want someone to judge me. But when conflict arises, and when it does arise, we need men who are able to discern what God's will is to keep the purity of the church and to bring reconciliation as much as possible to the body of Christ. And so to be an elder, or here in, in verse 2, the translation is overseer. Look at the characteristics above reproach husband of one wife sober minded self controlled respectable hospitable able to teach not a drunkard not violent but gentle not quarrelsome not a lover of money 
managed his own household well, with dignity keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? When we look and we see those characteristics of what God wants an elder to have, oftentimes we get overwhelmed. Who, who, can, who can fit this description? When we look at our men here at this church, or men, even when we look at ourselves and we go list by list, you're just like, nah, it's not me. Nah, that's not me. Nah, that's not me. Nah, that's not me either. <laughs> and you keep going down the line, and you're like, I guess I disqualify myself. That's right. Future elder right there, Noah. But I want to encourage you. This list is not a legalistic list that you compare yourself to and say that I need to reach this level before I qualify myself in being an elder. Now, if you don't have any of these, if you don't exhibit any of these characteristics at any time, that, 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 that's, that's a red flag. But God is, does something very interesting. When God gathers his people, even in a church this size, God is always doing what is in his best interest. And his best interest is to have elders who can lead this church. That's the best interest for, for Jesus himself and the best interest for this church. And so what we need to do as God's people is twofold. One, every man here, and I'm saying every man, needs to pray and needs to ask God, is it me? Help me. Is it me, Lord God, that you want to lead this church, to serve this church? Every man should be asking God, God, give me a desire to serve your church and serve your church well. knowing that you will give me grace and mercy. That each man should look at this list and not only see this as a list of qualifications for elder and, or deacon, but also qualifications of just being a man, <laughs> being a husband, being someone in the society who can do good. And as you grow in these qualities, each man should ask God, God, are you calling me? Number two, we as a church as a whole should always be praying, Lord, raise up, call for us 
men who can lead this church and serve this church. Men who can be accountable to you and you alone. Men who can love us and, and discern truth for us. Men who can dispense wisdom and love. Men who can carry the standard that all can follow. God is not looking for perfection. The mature man or the mature woman, the mature person is simply someone, all right? Someone who recognizes their sin and repents daily and leans upon God. That's maturity. The humility to recognize that you're a sinner. The maturity to lean on the cross and the courage to walk forward and do what is right in God's eyes. The Lord himself has given this to God's people. You know this. If a church does not have a government, someone's going to take control of the church. It just, just happens. You get a group of people together. If no one's assigned as the leader or the one who's responsible, someone will take that leadership, whether they're qualified or not. Church is the same way. But God has given a plan to raise men, elders, to serve the Lord. Men, I ask you, be above reproach in your life. Don't let anyone have anything that they can hold against you. Continue to repent and say sorry. Be humble. Men, be able to teach. For those who are married, teach your wives, teach your children about the things of God. Teach one another about the things of God. Men, don't be drunk. Not on wine, not on other things as well. Don't be violent. But be gentle. Men, don't be quarrelsome. Don't pick a fight. Don't pick a fight in this world. Don't be a lover of money. You know every good thing comes from God. Husbands, manage your household well. Keep your children submissive. You know, and submissive does not mean once again you, you, you pound on them. But submissive is let them know that you are there as their authority to love them and to put them in the right path. Let them know that to be obedient to you, to one who loves them, is akin to us being obedient to our Father in heaven, submitting our will to him as well. And keep walking. 
women, you too continue in all these things. But more importantly, encourage the men of this church. They might be your husbands. They might just be brothers in the Lord. And say, this is your calling as men. This is what you need to be as a man. This is what you need to be if you want to be later on for the single men out there. If you want to be good marriage material, this is what you need to be going towards. If you want to attract a woman who loves Jesus, this is what you need to be headed towards. Women, you do not want, and I hope you do not want a weak man. You do not want a man who does not know Jesus or will follow Jesus. You do not want a man who is unsure. You want a man who is in love with the Lord and courageous in the Lord. And then overall, for all of us, pray. This church right now is not a particular church. It's sort of nomenclature we, we use in the PCA. A particular church is a church that has a session of elders that rule and shepherd and govern the church. What we have right now is what we call a missions church. We're looking to become a particular church. We're a missions church because I, as a pastor, I'm a teaching elder, and at this point, I have all authority over you guys, which I don't want, <laughs> to be honest. And at this point, God has called me to organize this church to one day become a particular church that you can run, that we can run in a way that honors God. So pray. Pray for me as your pastor, as a church planter, that God will give me wisdom to continue to minister to you well. Pray for your church. Pray for this church. Pray for our church, that God will raise up men, that we can move forward and mature as Christ desires for us. Jesus loves his church. And surely Jesus will provide elders for this church as well. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, many of us are content with just you being our Savior. Many of us are content with simply going to church, coming home, and seeing our spirituality, our identity simply as, I love Jesus, Jesus loves me. I love Jesus, Jesus loves my family. But Lord, you're building something greater. That's your church. For we know, Lord God, that family needs to serve you through church. That we as individuals who are not married need to serve you, Jesus, through church. That there's a blessing that comes in our gathering of our gifts, loving one another and dispensing of these gifts to the world that we were able to see your glory even more precisely, even more beautifully. It's one of those mysteries, Lord God, for we can't 
pinpoint exactly how that happens. But we know, Lord God, if we follow your will and build and design the church according to your word, that you'll be happy to dwell in our midst. So, Lord, bless this church, CCPC. May we honor and glorify you all of our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.